Let's face it, running a construction company can be chaotic. As business owners, we wear a lot of hats and we're constantly putting out fires. Luckily, there's a way to work simpler with Builder Trend. I'm a huge advocate for using technology to help run AFT, and Builder Trend is one of the most crucial tools I rely on to keep me on top of every detail. Built just for home builders and remodelers, this is an easy to use platform that helps manage all aspects of my business. My team's been using Builder Trend's project management platform for the last five years. And we love that they're always improving and adding new features to make our lives easier. This is something that we've really tried to take on internally to find ways to improve our system every day. Build a Trend just released a full set of financial services, added new tools like Takeoff to make estimates more accurate, and launched a total rebrand with a new mission to help change the future of construction. And we are on board. To learn more about how Build a Trend can help calm the chaos in your construction business, Visit buildatrend.com backslash AFT. When you schedule a demo, you'll receive an exclusive 60-day money-back guarantee only available to my podcast listeners. I'm following Build a Trend into the future in construction. Come on board with us. Don't miss the Contractors Coalition Summit. You can go to contractorscoalitionsummit.com and join us in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Wednesday, May 15th through Sunday, May 19th. This is going to be an incredible event. Again, for all of you builders and designers looking to take your business to the next level to learn about all things, systems, organization, pricing, social media, marketing, how to be a better business owner, all the things that we wish we knew as early business owners many years ago. We're going to speak about that. Also give you a Dropbox with all the content, including contracts and other documents that we're using, as well as KPIs, keeper performance indicator. So don't miss it. It's a huge opportunity. Some amazing vendors will be there as well that you can network with. So again, Wednesday, May 15th through Sunday, May 19th, 2024 in Minneapolis, go to contractorscoalitionsummit.com. Okay. Here's my greatest pitch that I can ever do for a remodel, especially if it's large. It's just like having a baby. Demo starts as the time you figure out you're pregnant. You're so excited this project's underway and going. Then as you start working through your first trimester, you're getting a little bit more uncomfortable with everybody showing up at seven o'clock in the morning, knocking on your door and making it loud and messy and all that. Second trimester, you're really getting grumpy about all this stuff now and you want these people to leave. You want it to be done. You can see the finish line, but you're not there. Then when we wrap the whole project up, the baby comes out and the house is beautiful and you forget all that misery that you have the six months before that. So welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have Tim Nelson on. Welcome, Tim. Thank you, Brad. Appreciate it. So Tim is the president of Symmetry Builders Corp. And Tim and I go way back. We actually met at the gym, funnily enough, and we've been friends for quite a while and our wives and both he and I and our wives have been out to dinner and we've collaborated. And of course, business is always number one topic when we meet, but Tim's also given me many pointers too. So I appreciate that. Yes. Very welcome. Appreciate that friendship so, as well. <laughs> so what's unique, you know, most builders, I'd say most people in general, when they're, you know, networking, they have a hard time going up to people, going up to stranger. I think most of us have been in networking event and you're kind of out of place. If you don't know anyone, you know, it's easy to be a wallflower in some of those events, whereas like the gym's kind of a good area where I just see you. You have so many friends. Every time I'm there, everyone knows Tim. They say hi to you. you they they know your wife Kim. You guys are like super friendly. So, how do you get out of your shell? You know what what has led to that success? Just as the gym, and I'm sure that's crossover into business too. Yeah, it's uh, so I'm a third generation contractor. So, and I started very young, probably about 10, 12 years old in the summertime, working for my grandfather and working for my dad. And they were both very engaging as well. And so I was something that I just followed in their footsteps and, and was very comfortable talking to anybody. And um, the um, one of the nice things is, is it's, it's a numbers game in this business too. The more of the people you talk to, you might not be talking to the right person, but that person may refer to somebody else that, hey, listen, I was talking to this contractor the other day who really sounded like he knew what he was doing and wanted to get some work done and it moves that way. So in the gym, I'm, I'm considered kind of a fixture because I'm there seven days a week, <laughs> you know? So everybody kind of knows me and, and, and I enjoy complimenting people on the progress so that I see the work they've done. It's very, very difficult to be disciplined in that area for a long time, but that does help a lot. And, and it does, um, and it just keeps me moving forward with things. So I enjoy finding feedback and, and just has exactly how we met when 
when I asked you about your shirt, I thought you were a trade contractor. I used to in the past. <laughs> you ended up having this multi-million dollar company, and that was fantastic. So, um, yeah, that's just luck of the draw. You know, just I just I approached you, I asked what happened, and, and there it goes. And so now we have a great friendship, and, and I'm thankful for that. So I, I enjoy talking to people anytime I can. Well, it's interesting. I know that from your side, how's that bled over into just, you know, as you look at now, have you ever had business outside the gym? Have you ever met trade partners? Um, you know, how has that just benefited you just on a personal level? Yeah. So I've had referrals from people at the gym that, uh, I have gotten some jobs for. There's, uh, another contractor there that I've become friendly with and, uh, and his, his father-in-law is also at the gym, same person, uh, same family. And so, um, We've been doing a little bit of network back and forth, but nothing great. Just kind of, we were griping about some of our trades that we needed some help with. And so we shared some ideas and, and contacts with that. And, and that's been successful so far. So it is good. And the, uh, the networking with kind of the contractors, you really inspired me to do because I really did like to socialize in that group because they all seem to complain about other contractors and I didn't like that. So it wasn't, it wasn't enjoyable for me, but, um, after meeting you and then, uh, meeting these other people, those guys were all really good guys. And I've had a great experience since then. Yeah. It's interesting. It's funny how kind of your eyes are open. I, I, I think I was a little blinded too. When I first started my company, I remember reaching out to some local builders and a lot of cold shoulders out there, you know, a lot of people, peers not wanting to help or give advice or share subs. And, of course, you're not going to go up to someone and say, give me your whole bid list. You know, I had JD Dwyer from Sticks and Bricks and, you know, we had talked about that on the episode a while back, but essentially even just a collaboration, like, Hey, I need a stucco guy, Tim, or I need a concrete guy, maybe one here or there, you know, and we, we all have good trades that we can't keep totally busy ourselves. So sometimes we want them to work for good GCs as well, who we know will take good care of them. And so it's funny how my eyes have been open to just the collaboration, you know, and that's part of the reason I do the podcast. And, you know, in, in that crossover to business now, as you look at remodeling and, and your business, you know, when you look at goals of the gym and, you know, you and I both have them and that's why they're, we're there and trying to stay active. And so in that way we could be alert, right? And in, in our day to day with our business, how, how do you kind of control the goals or get down to the goals and objectives of your clients? Well, that's a great question. And, um, the, there's typically about three meetings before we get started. And the initial one is just the walkthrough with the client to see exactly what they want to do, if it's going to be feasible, what their timeline is. Because uh, a lot of times we, we get a, people that really want to jam in a bunch of stuff over summer or in the fall, right before Christmas and, and the holidays. You know, that's a very volatile time to go. But um, once we once we have our initial visit, and we'll present a potential budget for them for what they want to do. Then we'll talk about timelines and try to get all that established before we start the project. And, and this is also includes um, if they're wanting to design their own project or if they have a designer. If they don't, we certainly will refer a handful of them. We like to have a designer on place. And then it's critical that we have all the selections made prior to starting this project. Otherwise that delay turns into a nightmare for the homeowner that's uh, going to be living through this if they're, if they're going to be in that home. So critical component for anybody listening, all selections need to be made before you start a project. So I, I want to grab you there because the funny thing is I've, I've been pretty big on this, you know, to have selections done. When you're building a custom home, you know, I would say even the homes that we build, it, it I don't want to say it's more feasible, but it is feasible because, you know, typically our pre-construction timeline is a year, year and a half, possibly two years on some of these builds. So there's, there's quite a timeline, quite, a, you know, where we can get a lot accomplished. We can make a lot of decisions. So we're very prepared when we go into construction. The, the pushback I often get are... You know, a lot of builders and specifically remodelers are like, you can't do it. You know, you're moving so fast. How have you been able to take this hard stance, Tim, to say, you know, and, and I'm sure, uh, you know, at, at the backbone of this, it becomes from mistakes that have been made and frustrations with clients. But how have you been able to say, hey, we're not starting your, your demo. We're not starting the project until selections are made. Well, it's actually, once you get a good reputation and a backlog, you can have the ability to say no to some of these people. <laughs> so, um, and, and I, and I cannot say for a hundred percent that 
I still start a project maybe with all the selections aren't done. If I if I enjoy the client, I trust the client, I'll give it some latitude there. But it it has been so much more successful for us and the client if we have the selections made and we can just go through it. Um, and and so uh, actually uh, a, a project I can recommend is, is one that you referred to me for down in Seville, the Baker residence. This was a whole house remodel that we need to do there, 3,400 square feet, touched every room, and um, they needed to move out. And I, I told them, I said, I need four months. And so they were in in four months and a week. And um, and we just have a couple backsplashes and stuff to do uh, to take care of that. But the reason that they had to come back in is they were fostering a child and you have to have these criteria with the fostering people as to where this child is living at the time. And so that's why they had to come back in to the house before it was 100% complete. So you run into some areas about that, but if um, anytime we can keep the client out because, and you'll appreciate this part too, a final clean, a final punch list and a final clean is so important at the end of the job for the client to walk into. And if they want to walk in when you're 80, 90% done and have to move back in, boy, that never gets done. And it's, and it's, and it's frustrating to us because it's not our top shelf level that we want to present them when they come back home. I, th I think that's an interesting point because many of us have dealt, um, the reality is budgets can be tight, you know, pri pricing is, you know, it's not cheap right now to build a home and do a remodel. And, for us, you know, most of our stuff is cost plus. And so we, we kind of itemize each item of the bid and a, a mistake I made just being open many years ago is we had a client and we were trying to cater to him, you know, and budget, you know, was tight and this is during COVID. So, you know, pricing's changing and became pretty challenging. And so one of the items that we always have is our final clean because we bring in professional cleaners and detail the home. And it, it's typically, as you mentioned around that, that final, push when we're doing final punch and we're doing our AFT team walk and so forth. Bottom line is the client's like, Hey, we're going to clean ourselves. We're going to save the money, do a little sweat equity, you know? And the issue is it's never clean to the same detail that our cleaners would come in and do it. And it was just really hard as we're trying to punch the house to go through and really turn over what we would call an AFT quality home. Right. And it became a really challenging aspect. And so I think it's really important that all of us have our, you know, SOP, our operating procedures for a reason. And we push down just as you do, Tim, to say, Hey, I need to do your final clean. And more importantly, we need to have decisions made before we break ground. And how is that when, when you're looking with a client, you know, and you mentioned the designer, which I think we, we align there. And to be honest, I haven't met a ton of remodelers that are super pro designer, right? Um, and, and it's not that they have anything against them. It's just they're, they're fast moving. A lot of builders will try to make those decisions. How, where has that realiza realization come where you see the value of design and why you're so big on incorporating them early on? Anytime that a, a designer brings me onto a project, 90% of the time I get the project, which is great because she wants to, she presents us as a team which is fantastic. So I have a handful of these designers that'll do that and it's great. And for me, um, just being the applicator, as I say, of, the, of what they're doing, I really enjoy having a three ring binder, every room broken down, rough end details, finished details, product selections, locations to purchase the product and have all that available that anytime any of my team shows up to the job, that binder's on site and is available. They can just go through that and uh, figure out what they need. Now, some of that is moving along in technology wise with builder trend and house environments and stuff like that, that you can do a Google drive. Um, we still prefer the, the hard paper on the desk at their job site to be able to do that. And the designer, is a nice buffer between myself and the homeowner. Cause we really just want to be getting in there, getting after it, getting it done. Don't need a lot of engagement. And then if we have questions, we have somebody we can go after to, to could sort that out and get it done for us while we continue to work rather than chasing the client around for an answer. It's incredible. As, as you mentioned that when, when you speak about buffer, I think 
you know, as you look at the full context of design and, and essentially you, you spoke to this, the designers you're working with, they're giving you CAD details or giving you design books. And so these are physical, tangible items that you can have, yeah, electronically in builder trend, you can have them in the field. And so you actually have a roadmap, you have plans to build from. And, and the buffer is interesting because I've always, you know, from my perspective, I look at, you know, just having that other team player that's going to be coordinating so many different details of the home that now you and I can focus on building, right? Building can be complicated enough with uh, a, a new build is complicated enough when we're looking at, you know, the, how we um, weatherproof the house, right? And how um, the vapor barrier, you know, underneath the foundation and all the different details we're building with. Well, when you're doing a remodel, even more so complicated, you have to be there, Tim. I, one thing that's unique about remodels is you can't just manage it from afar. You have to be there daily going through the details when you're demoing and you're opening things up, you're finding surprises, all these little Easter eggs throughout the house, right? Oh, like, yes. you know, I can't imagine trying to do a remodel, be there and have the attention to detail from a construction standpoint and still have to figure out selections. Correct. Yeah, it is. Um, we just had one up in uh, McCormick Ranch, Scottsdale, doing a uh, bathroom, and we we started demoing out the floor and found a sunken shower underneath the tub area that was originally there. So we had to go down another three feet and take that all that all that product out. So there are plenty of surprises, and that's the challenge of a remodel: is you never know what's exactly behind the walls or how it was originally constructed the first time, and what you're going to be up to, get up to, and um a lot of other little things that happen in there is is when uh the flaming's done and you have soft fit areas around kitchens and, baths and stuff a lot of the trades will cheat and not go all the way to the exterior wall and bring the plumbing down or the electrical down they'll all snake it through the soffit so you got to reroute a whole bunch of that stuff and you can't do that when you're when you're there bidding the process so uh we give ourselves quite a bit of latitude with some allowances for what something's going to be we take a lot of pictures if uh, if the homeowners are not on site, any of that kind of product. We'll take pictures of that, send it to the designer or in a group text and uh, let everybody know what's going on and, and what we're going to have to do with that type of work. I was just going to ask, like when you find surprises like that, you're opening a wall and you assume that you're plumbing, mechanical, whatever, maybe, you know, electrical may be in the wall, but they're running through a soffit now. You know, how are you documenting that immediately to say, hey, this is essentially a plan bus or a scope bust? Well, it's so great now that we have a computer that fits in our pocket and we call it a phone and you can take just about everything. You can do great video, you can do great pictures with it um, and then just immediately send that off within the minutes that you discovered all this process and it gets people to digest it a little bit. And I usually just tell them, this is what we discovered I'm gonna get you a workup by the end of the day. We'll talk this evening about how we're gonna approach it and we'll settle that that evening and we'll get back at it the next day. Rarely do we have any pushback on that stuff. I, I really let everybody know there's gonna be a few surprises behind these walls that when we open them up. That's amazing. As you look at the customer, you know, progress, you know, throughout the build and the send those expectations, what are, some of the biggest anxiety that clients have before starting a remodel. Okay. Here's my greatest pitch that I can ever do for a remodel, especially if it's large and you've never been a remodel, but the wife is birthed children. Here's my relationship with that. It's just like having a baby. You once, once we start the project, demo starts is the time you figure out you're pregnant. You're so excited. This project's underway and going. Then as you start working through your first trimester, you're getting a little bit more uncomfortable with everybody showing up at seven o'clock in the morning, knocking on your door and working and making it loud and messy and all that. Second trimester, you're really getting grumpy about all this stuff now and you want these people to leave, you want it to be done. You can see the finish line, but you're not there. Then when we wrap the whole project up, the baby comes out and the house is beautiful and you forget all that misery that you have the six months before that. <laughs> now what happens if that you know that that construction process goes longer though and you know they're they, they stay pregnant longer i'm sure probably not as happy at the end right they're probably not as happy as at the end but it's i am a proponent of ex expressing a later deadline 
than what I expect it to be. And that cost me a lot of chops. I'm certain of that because there are many contractors that will say, I can get this done in three months. And I'm telling them it's six or seven. So I try to be really honest on timelines. And especially uh, even on the small projects, like a master bathroom or something like that, you, you just can't have three trades in there at a day. So that really stretches out. That's going to be a three month minimum project in a master bathroom remodel, at least. So um, as I said, it, it's cost me jobs being honest with that, but it sure gives me peace of mind than trying to keep telling them two more weeks, two more weeks, two more weeks. I don't ever want to do that. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relations with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. Our clients have worked with the Sub-Zero Wolf and Co. showroom Scottsdale on nearly every project. They make the process so easy for us and our customers with either an in-person or virtual consultation. They have dedicated consultants to answer questions, provide helpful solutions, and offer advice and assistance. When you are ready to embark on your kitchen journey, reach out to the Sub-Zero Wolf & Co. showroom, Scottsdale, who will tailor an immersive, rewarding experience just for you in their stunning showroom. Gather ideas, ask questions, and imagine how your dream kitchen might come to life. All catered to you in a low-pressure and highly inspiring environment. View an array of options and see what they look like in full-size kitchen vignettes. And attend a chef-led demonstration to see and taste these appliances in action. Yeah, I've realized that that honesty up front, I mean, painting a realistic picture of the build time, there's no doubt there's going to be some clients that may not like that answer, go to someone else who's going to give them a better timeline, better budget, at least principally, like in the beginning. And then, you know, by the end, they come back. And I was just speaking with an architect that having that conversation with a client that we bid out many years ago and the client ended up going in a different direction and sure enough came back and said, yep, it was the, the budget and timeline was right. And we went the other way and then paid for it in many other ways along the process. And so it is tough. You know, do you ever find it challenging to be that upfront with the client, knowing that, hey, it may cost you the project in the beginning? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll be soured on it for a few days if that's the case. I, I had a I had a large one up in Scottsdale over around 112th and Shea. And it was a whole house remodel, just under a million dollars to do. And this was just pre-COVID, very pre-COVID. And um and I, I gave him a nine month timeline on this, on this project. And he says, well, this other contractor said he can do it in six. And I said, well, nine's, nine's going to be my number. And he said, uh, he, so he called me back in a day. So listen, I'm going to go with this guy. He said that he'd get it done in six. Otherwise he'll pay a penalty if he's not done in the six months. And then COVID hit, which probably saved that contractors behind because everything got stalled out there. And, I mean, I, I think that job went on for 14, 16 months, but if you had a decent contract, you was saved by a natural disaster, if you want to call it or whatever you want to do there. But um, that that was one that was kind of stuck in my craw because I, I knew I was right on that. And it was a good number on that job. And it was a, a job that I really wanted to do. It was a, it was a very nice home. So when, you, when you're saying that expectation with the client, you know, how do you gauge work hour constraints? Because again, when you're doing a remodel, if they're living in the home, you're going to be limited on access times. You mentioned the master bath example where, you know, it's hard to stage a ton of trades in a small confined area. 
So how do you define and set those expectations clearly based on the scope and, you know, the constraints you have with, with all the remodels that you do? So we do a 7.30 to 3.30 schedule when people are living in the home. Otherwise, if they're, if they're not occupying, then we'll go to whatever the HOA allows us for the timeline to be in there. Uh, we rarely work the weekends. I try to let them have peace if they're going to be home with that. And um, they, and then it's the living arrangement. So that's the other thing that we have to discover because I would want to, I will seal off any rooms that are not going to have any activity so none of this dust gets through it because no matter how well you protect, dust finds its way everywhere. So that's a, that's a big challenge for us when people are living there. We'll do temporary plastic walls to seal off the workspace area. We'll tape all um, bedroom doors shut that will not need anything. And we do a lot of furniture manipulation by putting them into some of those rooms, or we'll do a whole pack out and have a company in, take the product out, put it into an air conditioned storage facility and have that sit there until it's time to come back. Um, so, uh, luckily it's, um, the, the, the ones that I've recently been working with, they actually work at home, but they get up pretty early. They're up usually about five thirty, six o'clock. So that's never a problem in there and they go late, but it is, um, it is an area that we got to seal off the house there because now they're having their environment impacted with all the noise. So we try to do some deadening sound barrier with a, on a temp wall and, and try to keep it quiet. It's almost putting like acoustic panels in a theater type of deal, but it does help out. And, uh, and some people just want to be at the home. So are you facilitating? Cause I know that's a big aspect is, you know, they're essentially having to move out, move furniture out. Are you working with them as a budget line with a, you know, a third party company to get all that? Yeah. Taken so care? I, I do have a third party company, um, that I use. And then I will also offer them if they want to handle that, that is fine because it's, if I'm going to pay, if I'm going to handle all that, then I'm going to have a, a, you know, a fee for doing that. And so I just give that back to them. Listen, you can call these same people and, and do everything you want here and not have to pay the money for me. And it's the same thing. And we can just take care of it that way. And I always probably say 20% will say, yes, they'd like to take that on. But most of the time they just want to hand it all over to me and, and just get it done. So they don't drop any deadlines. Well, you mentioned the safeguards you're going through just to protect the home from, you know, dust and debris and noise. And I mean, to the extent that you can, right. How, how do you deal with clients to make them feel comfortable about people in your house? Cause I know specifically with remodelers, I'm sure you've had clients say, Tim, do you background check everyone that's in my house? You know, how are you vetting your base, how are you making the clients feel comfortable with those that are going to be coming into an existing property? Yes. It's tough sometimes with that. You know, you just never know uh, when some of the trades, others' employees have a uh, certain look or demeanor or something like that. So it's very important to me in that initial meeting that I can make the wife comfortable with going on and, and, the best aspect for me is now that my boys are older, they both work for me. So it's it's three family members that are on the job for sure every day. And then I have a couple other superintendents and, and another uh, employee that does miscellaneous product for us. But that's a the family is a big deal. And I always bring Kim to every meeting as well, too. So um, they know that this is my wife and she's in the business and she's handling everything on the back side and you'll be doing a lot of talking with her as you, as you will with me. So that eases it down quite a bit for them. They like, they like the family nucleus, which I think is a, is a great deal. And then of course, with my three generations of history and now it's passing on down to them, it's rejuvenated me to kind of get back into building the business again. So I can just slide it down to the boys and they can keep going, which is great. That's amazing. And so I, I, I can only imagine the comfortability saying if you're standing from Tim that, Hey, I have my two sons that are essentially working in the operation. One of us three will be in the build. And so there's some supervision and over, you know, we're over, you know, we're looking over the project where most contractors fail by not having adequate supervision that are maintaining, you know, progress. They're, they're checking quality. They're checking, um, you know, that everything's done correctly. How's that giving you upper hand just from the client's feeling? Okay, I could trust him and his operation. 
Yeah, that and that's a this is a, a tough little spot that we have uh, discussions with the homeowners in the budget process is is cost for supervision. So we have uh, a handful of projects that are going on right now that are just uh, a couple couple kitchens, couple master bathrooms, and uh, two another house with two bathrooms that are going on. So those areas do not need a lot of time. We'll come in and we'll do the full demo ourselves. We'll do the frame back ourselves. And then our trades come in, the plumbing, the electrical, the tile setters, drywall guys and all that. So we will always have an individual there when a trade comes on site. Because I don't I don't know who's gonna come from the company, whether it's Tom, Jim, Joey, or whoever. And I have no idea if he knows where he's going, what he's gonna do, or knock on the doors or what time he's gonna show up. So we make sure 7.30 start time, I'll have a super on site and they just basically babysit there. And it, and it does cost the homeowner um, hourly wage there, but it sure saves headaches, troubles, mistakes, messes for sure. Yeah, let, let me just jump into the transition into the mess thing there. So if, yeah. you do, if you do not give a specific location for a dry, a concrete, a drywall guy, or a painter to clean out, you're going to have coloration all over that yard in different areas. <laughs> you know, you, I know you're aware, right? Concrete there, yep. drywall mud, paint poured in the gravel out off the side of the yard. So that's a hard no on our jobs. We'll set up either the kiddie pools you can get from Walmart or something like that, or we just build an area, tarp it all so that it doesn't leak through into the ground and we'll clean all that stuff out. And, and we have our own dump trailer. So we hit all of our jobs every week, pull all that stuff out. And that's a big saver too. I, I think the biggest feedback I've ever received, especially when we did a lot of remodels early on, um, it is specifically what you're speaking about is, is just that extra care, going the extra step. You know, you mentioned, you know, how you're going to protect from dust, but, but more importantly is the washout area. So you see the painter will go wash his paintbrush, you know, out in, you know, here in Arizona, we have a lot of rocks just to paint that picture. You know, you have a lot of gravel outside and so it does discolor it. Drywall mud from the, you know, drywallers, you have the concrete. And so, you know, going that extra step, Make, makes an impact. It's really hard to sell that value. So how are you creating that value to the client to show, Hey, we're different, you know, between your, your wife, Kim, you, your kids, you know, they're working the business, just the whole operation, the, the extra value, that extra step of care that you're taking. Well, it's, it's part of our pitch when we initially meet them. And then, uh, as we progress through the process and we, and we're making another site visit to do whatever they will explain where it's actually going to go. Cause I can pick out a location pretty easily when I'm on site. So we tell them we're going to build that this here, and then um, we'll have this. Uh, and then also, you know, we have um, we always bring out a porta potty. We don't want to stay in the house and use any other product there. So we'll have a spot for that. Keep them, keep all the boys out of the out of the house, and then uh, that'll be next, typically next to the cleanup area as well too. And once you kind of lay that out, and they can envision what's going on. I have pictures of other job sites that I've done too. And I could just flip through it. And I say, listen, here's exactly what I'm trying to explain to you right here. And, and they'll get an idea of that. And then um, post that, we'll, we'll give referrals. And, and we'll give referrals that are specific to that kind of project that we're going on, price point, um, location, and all that kind of stuff. And, and that usually locks us in. How do you, you know, it, it, internally, because you have Kim involved, you have you know, your son's involved, as you mentioned, how have you, as you've grown, diversified that job role, that understanding of who's responsible for what aspect of the build and project? Well, I, I haven't mastered that. My, my, <laughs> my uh, ability to uh, dictate, uh, I'm still working on that because I, I am, I am a, uh, a learner that watching my dad work as hard as he did, I just wanted to work harder. And so I expect anybody that's watching me thinks they should outperform me, which isn't always the truth. You know, you gotta, you gotta prod some people and, and give them a little bit more, uh, instruction and training. And that's difficult for me, but I'm really working on it, trying to get better at that because my body is not willing to do all the things I could do through my twenties and thirties and 
forties. So, um, I am trying to, uh, allow a longer leash on my boys to see how they perform when all that's going. And, and so far it's been going really well. We did, we did have a, uh, we did a porch extension with some TNG that had some difficult, uh, miters and cuts and stuff like that. And, and, um, they got about a third into it and I didn't like it. And so we had to redo it. And that was a good learning curve for, for both of us. You know, it's, it just happens. And, and I told the homeowners at the time that that was going to happen. I said, listen, I'm going to cut my boys loose on this a little bit and see how, how well they do. And, and he was a friend of mine, so he was fine with it. And, and he did, and we had some good laughs, but the job turned out great and, and they love it. And it's fun. So. Um, it, it, I'm still, I'm still practicing that practice. Well, I would say in fairness to you, Tim, I mean, the reality is we have to start somewhere. I, I know early in my career I made a ton of mistakes. I mean, I still do. I'm sure you're the same. And so you, you have to create an environment where your team and people, there's a culture there where they can understand that they, at some point they have to leave the nest and they have to figure it out. But you also have to have the groundwork and a game plan for when mistakes happen and protocol and you know, when, when things come up and of course, you know, as you mentioned, you want to make sure the client's on board too, to understand where they're at, you know, and so then that way they're not concerned. And, and just so they know at the core of it, Hey, you're managing it, Tim, you're going to take care of it so that they don't feel like they have to micromanage you or your company. Right. And, um, so, so back to, to designers on this topic too, is, um, I've had some designers that, uh, we had some some detail product and some tile that we were working on and whatnot. And you will have some I, some tiles that'll have some flaws in them. You know, just a disc, slight discoloration. Well, your tile guy is going ninety miles an hour to get the job done, and he's throwing it all up. But it may be like right in the middle of the backsplash over your cooktop, you have this tile that's got this little black nick in it, you know, or a mark or imperfection. And so I've I've had a couple of designers call me and say, Tim. I really don't like that tile that has that, that mark in it. It's right in there. Why would they put that in there? And I said, well, first of all, it's, it's all placed on a sheet. That's a 12 by 12 mesh tile. And then it goes up and they're not really paying attention to that, but I'll cut it right out. We can take care of that. No problem. And almost, they almost take a step backwards. Like they were ready for a fight. Like I was going to say no. And I have no reason to say no. I mean, I, anything that we do can always be reversed. And I do not get wound up about changes like that or, or an imperfection on this piece of deal or anything like that. So that's, I think that's what has kept my relationship with my designers really well is that I don't, I don't push back. If you don't like it, then I'm changing it. I, it has no bearing on me. I'll just take that out, replace a new place and, and let's just move on and finish the project. Uh, that's a great stance to have with your clients. And and you mentioned early on too, you said there's essentially three steps before you kind of get to that final moment. One, one thing that's tough as a remodel contractor is you're getting leads all the time. And how are you vetting them? Because you could be driving all over town and anyone that's been to Phoenix understands your footprint. I mean, from the East Valley to Cave Creek and everything in between, you know, this could be an hour, hour and a half just one way in, in greater Metro Phoenix. So how are you vetting that initial call to make sure, Hey, th this client may actually be in line with, with my scope. I think there may be a potential project here as we collaborate together. And so, yeah, I'm going to take the second meeting and meet in person. You know, how do you get through that first call? So we have, um, we have designers in separate areas of the city. So I have one that is up in desert mountain area, which is a good hour drive that we go up there and it's a, it's a nice budget type job. Uh, another one is Cave Creek. She's a Southwest designer and a lot of that happens there. So we go there. Now we're trying to make a push into the East Valley down here where we live. And, um, what we have, what we have gone after is, uh, the areas in the 15 to 20 year old home ranges that just need to be updated. So everything that we were doing throwing travertine in 2004 and 2005 and 2006. Now we're just tearing all that out, which is great. And so, um, when we, when we look at the project, we are looking for, uh, a, let's see, I would, I would like to say at least a three to four month project. So that could be a couple bathrooms or in the kitchen or a kitchen or what have you like that. And then we are looking at the value of the 
the uh, residents and what it would take. I have to stop that for a second there, Brad. No, no, you're good. So Tim, let me let me ask you this. So you're so when they're calling you and they're saying, okay, Tim, you know, I want to do a kitchen, I want to do a bathroom, I want to do X, Y, and Z. Essentially, you're going to ask them, hey, what's your address? At some point, so that you can do some research and say, let me. Is that just part of your sales pitch to say, let me do an analysis because I have my realtor license. I can look up comps. I can look up where homes are selling. So you're actually providing this value to look into and do a little research for them. Correct. Yeah, I would exactly do what you said there. I would get the information from them from the call, get an address, and I let them know that I carry a real estate license and I can look it up online on the MLS. So I'll pull up their property. I'll review the rooms that we have talked about remodeling. Then I will get on a phone call with them and ask them, okay, now what do you want to do with those? And we'll start talking about it. And uh, a lot of it will come down to like load bearing walls or anything like that. What can be moved and what cannot be moved. And we'll have a short conversation there. And then if I feel comfortable with them so far, I'll set a date and let's come out. Let us, we'll go home out and walk the site and take a look. And then I can get in your attic and take a look if you have any bearing walls or anything like that. And we could move forward. And and when we do get up there, I have that same question and criteria is, is there going to be a designer involved? Do you have plans? What's your timeline for the project? Do you have a hard start? Do you need a hard finish? Are kids graduating at the end of the year and need a summer party before we start on this? Or, you know, how are the holidays going to affect you if it's going to be around that time? Lots of questions for that stuff. I, I think that's fascinating because I've spoken to a lot of remodelers. I don't think I've ever met one, Tim, that's doing this amount of research, you know, to, to provide that value to the client. You know, most of them are like, hey, I got a great job lead. It's a great project. Here's your budget. Let's go do it and let's go knock this out, right? It's it's part of business because there is a chance that, you know, your people would um, possibly not do the remodel by thinking they're going to overbuild. By providing this value, how does that change your closure rate with the client? Good. I, I mean, we're probably, I would say we're at least 75 to 80%. And the only thing that, um, that really knocks me out of it is I may be a little bit higher priced because I, this is the same as my timeline. I would rather come down on the budget than keep asking for more money. The same with the timeline of the job. I don't, I, I would rather extend that timeline out and not have to keep telling you that I need more money and I need more time to do this. So that's the only, those are the areas that, that cost me some job, I would say. And, um, just also the other, the only other thing that really cost me is it just overlap with another job. And if I just can't take it on. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really important because essentially you're controlling your backlog. You, you understand the work in progress and you don't want to overcommit yourself or, you know, you're not going to be able to perform for the client. Correct. So going back to the valuation, do you ever have clients? Because I'm sure as you're going through this, there are always scenarios based on the scope that they want to do that they are going to overbuild. It's just the reality of the amount of money and complication of the remodel where you're presenting this information. How many of them look at you and say, you know, Tim, I want to be in this neighborhood. I want my kids in the school district. I don't want to move. I, I may be overbuilding, but hey, I want what I want and I'm going to move forward. I've had two of those in the last year. Very funny you say that. The um, uh, one was down in, in South Gilbert and his remodel was more than he paid for his house. <laughs> but he said, I love my neighbors and this place is great. And yeah, um, this was a, uh, a project that had a uh, two-story home, but the living room was full height to the second floor. And it's just one of those wasted holiday only kind of living rooms, right? Everybody else stayed in the deal. So we put in a yep. lot up in that area, got them 630 square feet of space upstairs, and completely changed the dynamics of that house. And it was fantastic. They had four young kids and it was just their play area up there. That was great. And then uh, another one was right over here off of uh, Gilbert and uh, I mean, Railroad and Cooper. Same deal. Now they were empty nesters, basement home. Uh, I think they paid two seventy five for the home, and the remodel was two twenty. And they just touched everything again, so that the kids can come back. They can have bedrooms downstairs, bathrooms, all for uh, when they come visit back to mom and dad. And and those were great jobs, fantastic. And both of those people actually lived through the projects too with us, and and it was it was great. They they do enjoy that. So if you're gonna if it's your forever home. 
spend all the money you want on it. Enjoy it. So how do you deal with needs versus wants? Yeah, that's, um, so there's a, there's a lot of novelty items. Showers are pretty popular for this. You know, they want body sprays, rain cans, all this other kind of stuff. And, and, uh, when you come back and see those people in four or five months, they never, they rarely use them if, if ever they use those things again. So I kind of debunk some of that stuff. If you really need it and want it, if you have an injury or something like that, then that I can understand using some of that stuff, but otherwise you're spending a lot of stuff. And one of the, um, uh, in addition to the needs and wants, another, another aspect that I push on is cheap is the most expensive. So if you're going to do something, don't always try to go cheap because it's never going to last. It's not going to work. Spend the money. Kitchen cabinet hardware is a great example of that. You know, they'll, they'll want to go spend on two ninety nine handles or something like that. And, and, and I want to be in the 10 to 15, $20 range with some nice poles that look fantastic that really set off the cabinetry in there. It's a point right when you come into the house. And, um, those are, those are interesting areas of, uh, needs and wants. And I always talk to the wife on those projects. Well, that's good. It's good you have a resource there, especially someone that's operating. Yes. You know, and haven't have had experience with certain vendors and suppliers. I mean, may, maybe to that point, you know, how has your supplier base expanded? You know, especially to meet the needs of your clients. You know, there there's a lot of people looking to do remodels for a lot of different reasons. They may be in their house at a very competitive interest rate. And um, so, with that being said, how have you expanded just the product that you're using, installing, and all of these homes? Well, we've, we've been fortunate to get some good leads from other companies. And every time I, I meet with a new designer, I immediately ask her who she likes for her subs and, and um, what she's had great success with and who she really prefers. And, and I'll interview those people. So over that, I've gained painters, cabinet companies, stone manufacturers, and that's helped a lot to get that going as well because I, I've got a backlog and sometimes I need to use a couple other subs for the same type of trade. And, and, uh, those designers have been a help with that because typically when I'm working on the job, I'm, I just, I'm on the job. I'm still, I'm a hands-on contractor. And so I don't have a lot of time that I can sit and research and send that stuff out. I'll ask Kim, my wife to start making some calls to see if she can get some other things, but the designers have been a good help. So you mentioned a few times in this episode that w that reciprocity that you have a relationship with designers that's led to business development and projects and referrals outside of the, you know, referrals from designers and previous clients, where's your lead generation? Where, you know, are those prospects coming from? Word of mouth has been my entire career up until the last two years. And, uh, this is when, uh, we're starting to take on the social media giant that uh, everybody's using and we're way behind the curve trying to get that stuff out there and still learning but um a lot of that is good house is a great development for our a great product for us they give us a lot you keep with our instagram that's been helping facebook marketplace i mean i just i never touched that stuff ever until you know two years ago probably when i met you you probably got me going on some of that stuff <laughs> so uh, that has been good, but, uh, just a good solid reputation has been, been helpful too. Yeah. You can't beat that reputation. I mean, you've been doing it for so long. So how did you get into the business? Just, I was always a worker, man. I didn't, I was either playing sports or outside doing something. And, and, uh, my dad and grandfather were just seven day a week guys. We had a, we had an old shop that uh we used to build all our own cabinets my dad was a phenomenal craftsman and and when he built cabinets he would actually cut his own lathe tools so his cabinets were never duplicated you would never see two of the same product in the same house so he was master craftsman and uh and I was a production guy. I wanted to move a little faster, you know, so, <laughs> so that's, that's where we differ. But, uh, it, um, again, they just following them in their footsteps and, and that just kept me going and, and I enjoy, and I enjoy it. I mean, I, 
if we're, uh, we rarely sit around the house and watch TV. Kim and I are always in the office and uh, enjoying our other hobbies and, and just working on the business and just keeping it going. We enjoy it. So how have you made that so successful? I know, and, and Kim's a sweetheart between you and Kim and, you know, marriage and running the business and all the different aspects, you know, how does that, you know, correspond in just day-to-day living? It's uh it's full day. It's a full day, but it's uh, it's great. Um, you know, both boys working for us. That's great. And um, uh, Kim's uh, daughter, Amanda, she's a uh, salesperson for a uh, Beer Plumbing, and she does all like the high rise stuff, hotel, and so we're actually all in the construction industry. And so it gives us something to talk about and keeps us motivated. We talk shop, talk jobs, and and talk clients, and and. Um, Again, it just, we just, we don't tire of it. We enjoy it. And we're a big boating family. We love to do that. So we're on, we're not winter people. We're summer people. So we'll be out on the water <laughs> a couple of days a week during the summer. And then we'll try to take three or four vacations out to the river and do all that kind of stuff. We really enjoy being outside. That's amazing. And so I was just going to ask you, what do you do for fun? Yeah, boating. Well, my gym is my, my habit. You know, I have to, I have to do that six days a week then uh we uh we enjoy being outdoors uh the boys and i are still uh off-road dirt bike riders we enjoy that quite a bit and then um outside of that we have a we have a couple of little businesses that uh keep us busy too and just stay active that's amazing so best advice you've been given best advice i'm at kevin talk to everybody. You never know who it is. It's true. And look, I mean, heck you're on the podcast. That's how yeah. we met, right? Yeah. Just coming up I mean, and talking it, to me. And it, uh, like I said, this, this one guy told me a long time ago, it's just a number of games. Uh, talk about everybody, ask what they do and see if there's any kind of portion of his business you can help him out with. So what do you have that's upcoming and exciting? Hmm. Man, exciting. Like personal wise or job wise? Personal job, both. Uh, we do have we have some great leads on some jobs that uh, are going to start. We got uh, March, April, May starts. Those are going to be some really fun projects. Uh, that's with KQ and Interiors. That's going to be my first projects oh. with them. They're great. Thank thank you for that referral, my man. Yeah, they do great. Yeah, and then um, we're looking at. Uh, we have a storage facility that we do for RVs and boats and stuff like that. And we're looking to expand in on that market too in the coming year. So we've been searching for some land for that and want to get that going as well. It's incredible. Well, Tim, you've been amazing. I appreciate the friendship advice you've given to those other contractors and remodelers out here. So thank you for making time today. You bet, Brad. I really appreciate this, man. You're a good man. If you give value from the show, please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And I also have a favorite ask. We've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom, their knowledge about their business. So if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them, as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could get value from the podcast or certain episodes, please share those as well. Again, subscribe, make sure you're following any questions that you have, topics, We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l at aftconstruction.com. Email me for topics to address, guests that we should have on, and even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So again, thank you for all your support, and we'll see you next time.